It's always scary to dump this much time and effort and you know money into these products when you don't even know if anybody's going to buy them. That's the voice of Bud Farmer, owner of Farce Design Co. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey everyone, what do you know about Shaper Tools? Specifically, the Shaper Origin. As a listener to this show, you can try a Shaper Origin risk-free for 30 days in your own shop. That's right, in your own shop. Just by visiting shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand to learn more. The handheld CNC router that has brought digital precision and efficiency of workflow to so many people is yours to try risk-free. Use it to tackle your joinery, your cabinetry, your hardware installations, and more with speed, precision, and the reliability your business needs. If you want to learn more or to give it a risk-free 30-day try, just visit shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand or check the link in the show notes. And now on with the episode. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Bud Farmer, owner of the Jacksonville, Texas furniture company, Forest Design Co. Where does the line get drawn between you running the business and the business running you? This is something that Bud struggled with, and it's also something that a lot of people struggle with. How to run your business successfully, but also in a way that lets you actually enjoy running it. Over time, Bud has developed his own rules for the way that he runs his business. And even though he might not have all the answers figured out just yet, he's sure been enjoying the ride. Follow along as we talk about growing local versus worldwide customers, trusting yourself, the importance of happiness in business, and much more. I had a great time talking with Bud in this episode, so let's jump right in and hear about his story in his own words. My dad and even my grandfather, uh, they were both home builders, you know, so whenever I was born, it was just kind of, it was just kind of there, you know, like uh, not necessarily furniture and things like that, but construction, you know, was always, always kind of a background of mine. You know, I grew up with it, grew up with the tools. So I kind of always had a, an understanding and, and kind of knew how to use them. Oh, I would probably say younger teens, maybe. I really started working with my dad, you know, on summers and whenever school's out, I would jump on the crew and uh, mainly frame. Framing was, um, I mean, he did it all, but I feel like for some reason I was always framing. I guess I basically grew to kind of understand all the tools and, you know, just the generalized construction outlook on everything. And, um, and then when I was 20 years old, uh, my dad passed away in a helicopter accident. So right from the get go, I, you know, I decided to just jump into the business and, and take it over and give it a go. So, you know, <laughs> pretty much just working for summers and then getting out of high school and then boom, you know, I had this this major business thrown in my lap and tried to jump in there and tackle it. And it went really smoothly, you know, I mean, not to say it wasn't difficult and I learned so many ways the hard way, you know, whether that just be dealing with subcontractors or 
taxes. Oh God, taxes were, that was the worst. <laughs> you know, that was, that, you know, you throw it, you throw it a 20 year old in and, and um, to a business and then have to just figure out taxes on his own. And you, you could only imagine how that, that would go. Jumped into it for a few years. And then my wife and I, I got married at a young age and we decided to just kind of pack up and, and move to Colorado from Texas to Colorado. We did that in 2008. He passed away in 2005. So I guess I had a, a good three years of running the business on my own. And then, um, yeah, decided to go to Colorado and, and got up there and got completely out of it. You know, I was like, I have enough construction, no woodwork. You know, I just, I just kind of want to just kind of get out of this, you know, go somewhere where nobody knew what I did and, you know, just kind of, just kind of be, you know? So yeah, they're from like 2008 to right around 2013, maybe 2014. I was just out, you know, I didn't have anything to do with woodworking, anything to do with construction. And I lived in Colorado and I worked um, at a family owned, it was my family's barbecue restaurant. And then at a, a brewery for a while. And then over time, whether it be, I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure what drew us back to Texas, but, you know, we had a ton of family in Texas. So we, we decided to kind of get back here. And then when we got here, you know, I think, my, you, know, you know, when you, when you have a good reputation, that's kind of waiting for you when you get back, you know? And so I got back without the intention to get back into construction. Um, but it just kind of happened, you know, I got back and the phone started ringing and First of all, I'm from a small town. So, you know, whenever you're in a small town, uh, word travels, travels quickly. And uh, so I just got back and, and the phone started ringing and, I, you know, I kind of got wrangled back into it unintentionally almost. And, um, you know, I started getting busier and busier. And, and then maybe in 2016 or 17, it just kind of hit me. I was like, man, you know, this is, this is just not really what I want to be doing. You know, I started becoming super stressed out and started remodeling a medical clinic, which was way more than I really, way more than I really should have gotten into. You know, that was just a whole, I mean, that's my first project coming back to the construction world. So, um, you know, you get into major medical um, codes and ADA codes and, you know, all kinds of stuff that really just put a huge stress on me. Started a spec home, you know, so we, we I built to sell and that went very poorly. <laughs> we, we lost a lot of money. And, uh, and then my wife got pregnant. And then, you know, so I just got to this point to where I just wasn't enjoying anything. You know, I wasn't necessarily happy to be back where I was. Wasn't necessarily excited to be back in construction. And I just kind of broke. I, did, I, I had a major major panic attack. And I just didn't know what happened. You know, I just, I just kind of crumbled. Yeah. I mean, things, I mean, I've never been like that before. And, and, um, I mean, it just kind of paralyzed me for a while. So from that moment, it was just like, man, you know, this is, I, it kind of, I kind of knew in the back of my head, it was like, this is not what I need to be doing. You know, this is not an outlet for me it's I'm not, I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. So basically in 2017, I believe we, I just built a new house on a lake here 
we packed up, we sold our house, moved into town, found a cheaper mortgage. And I just kind of dropped things. I was just like, you know what? I'm not taking any more construction jobs on. Uh, slowly kind of got out of it. I still had a few on, you know, that were, that were kind of still in the works, but I, I kind of stopped taking any on. And I just jumped in the shop. Um, it was, you know, man, I'm so fortunate. My father-in-law just had this building that he was leasing for like 20 years and, and it was ending. So all of a sudden this little shop came available and I was kind of just told myself, well, let me get in there. I'll just throw a few tools. I'll start with cabinets of the homes that I had built, you know, that I was building. And let me just get in here and start making some cabinets. And that would help, you know, kind of justify being in the space. It would allow me to just kind of see what this whole wood shop thing is about, you know? And um, so that's kind of how it started. You know, I got in there and started making a few cabinets for the homes and then just kind of on a whim, I ran across this small little black walnut slab. I decided to make a coffee table out of it. And then on the cutoff, I decided to make a little charcuterie board with resin. And this was in 2018. So, you know, resin is blown up, you know, but back then, you know, it was still, I mean, I can't say it was new, but it wasn't what it is today. You know, it was still relatively new, especially to like the consumer, you know, nobody really knew a lot about it. So uh, I just made this charcuterie board and I made this um, little coffee table and I just kind of threw it out there. Next thing I knew, you know, you know, we saw, we saw your, you know, your Instagram post. Can you make me one? You know, and it just kind of kept growing kept growing slowly, but surely. And, you know, you know, kind of before I knew it, I was like, man, you know, maybe I should just not take any more jobs on and just finish, finish up these construction jobs and kind of give it a go and see if I can make this, this wood shop, you know, furniture business a thing. I really want to get into the growth and where you are now and where your business is now. But before we go any further, I want to take a step back to when you were 20 and you were thrust into this business owner role without having any background in it besides just in the field work. And not only were you dealing with emotional trauma, but you were dealing with the business trauma of trying to run a business and have clients and do all that. And I can imagine that that really soured you to the idea of having your own business. And I don't blame you for needing to take some time off and for getting away from everything that had to do with building for a while. But what, what brought you back? Because I could see it being very very hard to get back into the saddle, but you did. Yeah. You know, I, I think it just kind of goes back to, you know, that was just kind of how I grew up, you know, I mean, I really enjoyed, you know, building and creating things, you know, but, um, what I, um, yes, you could love creating things and building things, but that, that is only, a percentage and sometimes a small percentage of actually running a furniture company, a furniture business, because sure. the building part for a lot of people is the enjoyable part. 
because if the business part was the enjoyable part, then people probably wouldn't get into the furniture business because it's a hard business to be in. So people get into it because they enjoy the, the building part and the creating part. But to be a sustainable business, to be a lasting business, to be a successful business, you also have to really know your business side of the business. So yes, you could have loved the creating things, but you could have been working in a restaurant or at a brewery and build things on the side. So there must have been something about owning a business and the business side that really pulled you back in. Yeah. You know, I I really think it ultimately comes down to, um, you know, with so many other people is having that freedom, creating your schedule. You know, um, I have a seven and a four-year-old now, and, you know, I think that was kind of a huge thing that I kind of, you know, a real realization that I had whenever we had moved back to Texas was, you know, this is not how I want to be a dad. You know, I can't, I can't be this stressed out with work and dealing with panic attacks and anxiety and all this stuff constantly and still be a good dad. You know, that I, I, you know, I saw that and, you know, aside from being a good dad, but I just didn't want to live that way. So, you know, I, I did realize that how I wanted to approach business, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that wants to have a huge company, you know, I mean, just like you said, you know, yes, the building is what I enjoyed. And I'm still, you know, honestly, there's a lot of business that I'm still learning. You know, I have learned quite a bit, you know, but um, I did learn. And I believe you have to find that certain size that, you know, where you want your growth to be. And I've learned for myself that if I get, if I scale it up and I'm no longer in the shop doing what I love to do, I might as well not do it. You know, I know the money's going to be better, you know, and I know, you know, I do need some growth. I mean, you know, and I'm still growing and I want to continue to grow, but I don't want to grow it so big to where I'm just a manager. I still want to be on the floor, you know, controlling the quality, you know, know what goes in, what goes out. And I want to have a hand in it. Currently, you know, that's, that's where I am at this point. I want to build the business to the quality and to the standard of what I can offer, you know, and then whenever it starts getting to a point to where there's control and I start getting a little bit of money in, so I will continue to grow it and I'll potentially get more employees. But um, I did learn through construction that I don't know if I want to be the guy with 10 employees, 15 employees, you know, that I'm just having to manage, you know. I, that's that has become more and more important and more obvious to me that to be successful, you know, not find not necessarily financially, but successful in a marriage, successful as a dad, successful, you know, financially as well, but just happy. You know, I think that's where my that's where I need to be right now. You know, that's the size of the business. I still would like to control it. You know, control the quality, control. The products going out and um that's just kind of where i'm right now you know i've grown it to where i don't necessarily have to have a ton of employees or any employees at that you know you said something that i hear a lot as a common misconception for having your own business and that is 
if I had more employees, if I grew my business, that's where more money would come from. And yes, maybe overall, you could take on bigger jobs, you could take on bigger projects. And those come with larger invoices and more money coming in. But with growing, with scaling, comes payroll, comes a bigger space that you need to move into, comes more insurance, comes a lot more things that eat into all the dollars that are coming in to your business. So, and I know you know this, but it's not like you all of a sudden, if you grow your company from a one person to a 20 person company, that then you're going to be incredibly rich. That's not necessarily how it works. You need to grow your company appropriately for how you want to run your company and for the type of things you want to make. Yes, scaling is important if you want to scale, if you Mm -hmm. want to take on those bigger projects. But somebody like you who doesn't want to be a manager, who doesn't want to be hands-off on the projects, you can still a company like yours, a company like that can still make a lot of money doing it the way you're doing it. So I'd say scaling is more of a personal preference and lifestyle preference than necessarily going hand in hand with the money that's coming in. Yes, totally agree with you. I mean, you know, I've learned to never say never, you know, so I can't say that I won't ever try to scale this up or get employees or anything like that. But currently, you know, that that's just kind of where I am right now, you know, in the near future, you know, I potentially will have to have an employee or so Um, totally getting off on another subject, but I bought a building with a friend of mine, and I'm going to have a showroom. And he is opening a restaurant and bar. So it's going to be kind of a restaurant and bar intermingling into a forest design showroom type thing. So that's in the near future. So, I, you know, I know I will have to have an employee or so for that, but um, I'll still kind of keep that small and minimum, you know, to a minimum to where I'll still have the quality control that I'm wanting, you know. Let's follow that, that idea of, of where you get your business because opening up a showroom is a great way to get local business, especially if it's coupled with a restaurant or something else that's bringing people in because people might not necessarily want to make the trip for just a furniture company, but people do need to eat dinner. So coupling with a secondary business like that, whether it's a coffee shop or a brewery or a restaurant or even another product goods company is a great way to bring more people in the door. So you have you have that way that you're marketing to clients, which we can't really get into because that's still in the idea phase. But the other way you are marketing to clients, and this is sort of a, an interesting balance because on one side, social media, which is spread out to the entire world, you can't really focus on who sees your posts. Yes, you can focus your advertising, but if a post does really well, it could reach people all over the world that might not necessarily be your furniture business audience. And at the same time, 
you said in the beginning that when you moved back, you're in a small town and there's a lot of word of mouth and people know your reputation. So you're getting business from both sides. What would you say the percentage of social media business to local word of mouth business is for your company? Yeah. You know, I think it's changed over the years. You know, when I started, um, it definitely was more word of mouth and predominantly local, you know, um, over the years has grown to where I'm really seeing that social media is bringing in quite a bit of, um, of customers and clients, you know, um, as far as a percentage, you know, it's hard to put a certain percentage on it, but, um, you know, I would say, my goodness, it's probably 50, 50 right now, 50 word of mouth and 50 social media. Um, well, it's hard to say what's local. I would say within two or three hours, but, you know, I do have a handful of stuff going, you know, out of state, but, um, you know, social media is definitely important though. You know, I, I, I really do. Not sure how that percentage will change once we open a brick and mortar store, but I would say about 50-50 right now, if I had to guess. I would love to talk more on that, but again, it's more hypothetical. So we're going to take it to a smaller version of the showroom, and that is your website. Because you do custom work, but on your website, you also have pieces that are for sale. So it's similar Mm -hmm. to a showroom where you're making pieces that are your own designs, your own ideas, and you're putting it out there for people to purchase as is, but at the same time, you're running a custom business. Do you see a lot of people gravitating towards the pieces you have finished ready to sell and purchasing those? Or do you feel like those pieces for you are more trying to get a customer's foot in the door by seeing these and then they go off on their own imaginary design journey and then the piece is a little bit of what you bring to the table and a little bit of what they have in mind are you doing these pieces to to have your own line or are you doing these pieces as an entrance piece for customers to see what you can do. Yeah, I think I think kind of both on that, you know. Um, I definitely get, you know, it depends on the time of year when, you know, when I have a lot of sales. I haven't been putting a lot of stuff online just because I'm kind of gearing up for the showroom. But before the concept of the showroom, it was kind of crazy. It's like the more I made and the more I put online, you know, the more sales, I mean, you know, that I had, you know, it may make sense, but you know, it's always scary to dump this much time and effort and, you know, money into these products when you don't even know if anybody's going to buy them. But what I found is just kind of the more I had, the more I had to offer, the more, you know, pictures I threw out on social media and led people to the website and the more options that people had to choose from, I feel like that the sales were just steadily increasing, you know? So, um, and, and, you know, I've seen it dive back a bit, you know, kind of fall back a bit when I stopped, you know, there's a few things up, you know, on online right now, but when I've found that when you kind of stop adding to that selection, when you, uh, you know, your sales drop too. So, you know, it's always kind of surprised me 
at how much more I did sell whenever I continually updated the website and had more to offer. So, um, you know, hopefully it'll just keep on going <laughs> whenever I get the showroom because it'll, it'll be directly linked to the showroom and the website as well. So they'll kind of feed off of each other. When you're building these pieces, these spec pieces, like you built that spec house back when you were still doing construction and putting that out there and hoping that somebody would buy it. When you're building these spec furniture pieces or pieces from your custom collection, are you going after or thinking about industry trends for these designs and these materials? Or is this really you following where your design passion lies and hoping to capture clients that are thinking like you and want pieces that you think about? You know, I suppose there's a little bit of, I mean, I feel like I, I try not to get on trends. You know, it's, there's always that balance. There's always that battle in my head, you know, of like, you know, would this sell better if I had this, you know, if I incorporated this into it, you know, and there's some times where I will, you know, tweak a design or I'll add this little bit of extra touch, you know, because it might be kind of a trend, but I don't find myself doing that much. You know, I'm sometimes I'm kind of just the opposite. You know, if I see something getting too popular, it's like, all right, enough of that. You know, I'm, I'm over that now (laughs) to kind of move along in a different direction that, you know, excites me. If it's just getting too popular or, you know, if it's somebody else's style, you know, I I don't really want to push in that direction. You know, I want to kind of pull off and continue to hone in my own style and my own techniques and, you know, kind of what is unique to myself and, and what, you know, I, I think a huge compliment is, you know, I've had a few people say like, Oh, I could tell that was yours, you know, whenever I saw that. And, you know, I think that's kind of what I think most people are after, you know, it's like your own touch, your own style. And I think when you always try to mimic what's going on and what is popular, you just kind of lose that style, lose your own touch, you know? So I, I, I try to really, to stick with what speaks to me and what design is calling my name out of that particular slab or that particular grain pattern or, you know, whatever the case is. Let's talk about the idea of reputation and your reputation. The idea of a reputation, whether it is for a small town or a local community or worldwide, is still very important and something that you need to guard because your reputation is your livelihood. It's how you make money and you need to make sure that you're projecting the type of company that not only you want to be involved in, you want to be running, but also one that is good for your clients as well. And one that people want to talk about and share and buy from again. So how have you gone about continuing a reputation that was already there built on the company that your dad founded and you ran for a little bit and then adding to it with your furniture and also your own 
personality and your own business, because this might have been on the building blocks of another business, but this is your business and it has been for some time now. It, it just kind of was a no brainer. You know, I, I started it with just kind of this thought. And I mean, it, you know, it wasn't even like I put a lot of thought into it. It's just like, I don't want to put any bad stuff out there. Like, and it wasn't because, you know, like, I mean, honestly, I might be thinking about this wrong, but it wasn't because this could make my business fail, word spreads, you know, it was really just because I don't know, I just didn't want anybody to have anything bad. You know, I don't don't know if it was a pride thing or, you know, an an OCD perfection type thing or, you know, what it might've been, but I just kind of went into it saying like, if I'm not happy with it, not going out the door, you know, even if it's a custom piece that somebody, you know, commissioned me to make, if it's just something that I'm just not happy with, you know, it's, it's a conversation. It's like, Hey, this is what's going on. This is the situation of the, the build. We've had this issue, you know, and I explain it and we'll start over if that's the case, you know, but it's better to me to, you know, to not put something out there that, that they're not going to be happy with. And, and I think that's just been my personality from as long as I can remember, you know, I, I guess I'm a, I'm a people pleaser. And, uh, you know, I think it, yeah, you're, you're all your positive energy and your, you know, how good you feel about everything translates into that final product. The idea of your reputation, we've already gone down that road and talked about how important it is, but there's another side of that that is sort of your reputation, but it's bigger than that. It's how you see yourself in the world. You see your company in the world and the lasting mark that you want to leave because we all, whether it's a big company or a small company, whether it's around for a week or it's around for a hundred years, we all leave an impression. And if it's your own company, that impression should be what you want to show the world. Looking through the way you run your company, I see that it's very important for you to give back to the world. As a furniture maker, using wood, you use natural resources, but you work with not one, but two sustainable charities, 1% for the planet and onetreeplanted.org. And those are both organizations that give back to the planet through sustainable ways. Why is that important for you to build your company around these types of organizations and this idea of giving back because it's money out of your bottom line. It's not necessarily a business decision. It's a personal decision. Why is this the way you want to portray your company and and the way you want to leave a mark on the world through your business? I've always been kind of connected with nature and, and then I don't, you know, I don't, when I had kids, I, you know, it really just kind of made that even stronger. And I think, you know, my own personal belief is, you know, that there is, you know, there's some major issues now. And so, you know, I just kind of went into this business kind of as a non-negotiable that I basically had to start making small changes, you know, small changes to offset, you know, the footprint, my footprint. And, um, you know, 
I have a long ways to go. Um, and that's the plan, but it was just important to me to give back, you know, we, like you said, we are in an industry to where we use trees, we use lumber. And I just thought it was, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why we, we wouldn't try to replenish what we use, you know, I mean, <laughs> that that's, you know, for our business, but also for forests and our, you know, air and, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on about, you know, reasons why to do that. But it was just a non-negotiable for me to, to push in that direction, you know, where I live, it's, you know, it, it's an East Texas town. It's um, kind of behind in, in the sustainability category of things. And uh, so I just kind of wanted this may potentially start that push, you know, lead by example and get involved with the companies that you can trust, you know, that you know where your money's going and that is actually being put to good use, you know, paying rent to this earth, you know, is kind of how I look at it. It's just what, you know, in my personal belief, I think is just how business should be run. You know, I think more and more people are starting to give back, but um, I think if more and more people continue to give back, I think it could really make a good change. You know, I want my kids to see this. I want my kids to see that this business, you know, is more than more than just a paycheck to me. You know, it's in, it's important. It's want it's what I want to do. You know, it's not only what makes me happy and um, you know builds a good reputation, but it, it you know it's leaving places better than when you found it. You know, it's trying to make some good in the world. It's you know it's. It's showing them that, you, you know, we might have to work hard at this. We might have to put in the extra effort. It's uh, like you said, it's, it is an expense to me. And, um, but it's, I don't know, it wasn't that hard of a decision. <laughs> I just think it was so important and, and important to show my kids and, um, and potentially start that movement here, you know, here in this smaller East Texas town that, you know, it, this is important to do and we should all consider it really. As somebody who was involved with 1%, for the planet back in, I want to say starting in 2010 or something like that. I hear everything you're saying and I understand and I am not passing judgment on any way people want to run their companies. I understand sure. that it's not for everybody and there's no push either way from me, it's a, a business choice, just like every other sure. type of business choice there is out mm -hmm. there. But it is important if it is something that you think about as a furniture company, the idea of sustainability to put your money where your mouth is and contribute to things that are important to you. And it shows as your business and it shows in the way that you run your business and the way that you develop your business and the way you talk about your business and also the way people look at your business and the reputation it's all bound up in the reputation that you have yeah i really do i i agree with you there yeah it's i, I think if you can just follow you know your beliefs and follow what gets you excited you know it, it all it all shows, you know, it, it, people see that people want to support that, you know, and, um, and that's been working really well for me. I've been super fortunate for it to play out this way. 
I want to go back to the retail space that you're opening up. And it's hard enough to open up a showroom on your own with all the issues that come with getting a brick and mortar space. Adding on top of that, a partner that is opening a completely different type of business in the same shared space. And I've talked with a lot of people on this show about having a co-owner in their business and the good parts and the bad parts of that. But those people are all on the same page, even though they might be doing different parts of the business. The final goal is running a successful company, but you're partnering up with somebody whose final goal is much different than your final goal. How have you been going about putting all the pieces in motion for this so you have two different people with two different goals, but working together to both be successful symbiotically in this one space? So a few years ago, you know, I, I was looking at spaces and um, to get a showroom, potentially even my shop downtown. And the cost, the size, everything just didn't quite make sense. And then meanwhile, my buddy moved back from California and he was a chef and um, he was kind of looking for some spaces and everything was too big, too much. And, um, you know, we were kind of in the same boat and then we all of a sudden just kind of had this idea. And, you know, we kept hashing it out, you know, day to day and we got excited and we started working out details that we decided to go for it. But I think, you know, we both feel so good about it. You know, we kind of approach business the same way. He, he's not looking at putting anything out there that's, you know, not of quality, you know, that, that he's not, you know, really excited about, you know, so I think we have such a trust and such an understanding of how each other want to pursue this business that are really on the same page, really, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing eye to eye. There's no, you know, there's no aspects that we disagree on, believe it or not, that we don't, um, you know, have the kind of the same, even though it's two different products, but don't have the same, the want, the same idea, the same, like, well, Hey, if this is not good, no, nope, they're not eating this. If I'm not happy about it, you know, so we have the same, we're matching qualities, you know, we're matching what we want to put out to people and, uh, you know, that we want to get excited and return customers, you know? So I, I, that's what makes us feel so good about jumping in this together and um, creating this space, you know, almost creating a culture in a sense, you know, to this downtown. And um, so, yeah, I think just being totally on the same page with how we both want to run this business. I promise I'm not trying to stir up anything here. And I'm <laughs> bring I'm, it on, man. I'm genuinely asking because I hear a lot of people talk about when they go into partnerships, the hopes and dreams are all in a line and the aspirations are in a line. But I've seen a lot of people who have these feelings that everything is good in the beginning. And once you sign a lease, once you have 
an actual physical location, once there's rent that needs to be paid, once there's all of these real world things, hopes and dreams and aspirations can go out the window very fast. And I can't speak to the relationship that you have with your co-owner of the space. And we don't have to go into all of the legal details, but have you put in place certain safeguards for if things go bad? And I want to be very clear that I'm wishing you all the best, but I'm asking this question in the, in the hopes of wishing for the best, but preparing for the worst. Yeah, no, I totally understand. And I totally get where you're coming from. Um, Yeah, you know, currently we haven't put anything together. We're shooting to open at the end of the year. So we still have a little time. But, um, you know, we basically own the building. And then we own separate businesses to the building. We're we're paying rent to the building, in a sense. But um, yeah, you know, I totally get where you're coming from. Uh, And, and honestly, I wouldn't probably have ever considered doing this with anybody else because I am kind of that type that I, I don't want to be locked in. I don't want to be bound by someone else. You know, it kind of goes back to, you know, wanting to start my own business. I, I don't want to, I want to have that freedom in a sense to do whatever I want with the space or do whatever I want with my business. But um, yeah, to answer your question, you know, I, I don't know how else to say it other than just a full trust with this guy, um, you know, and a complete, you know, we, we're just on the same page with everything. And I know that doesn't sound convincing <laughs> to most people, but uh, there's just a trust that I have with this guy that I, I don't have with anybody else. And um, and being that we're not in the same business, I mean, we, we technically own different businesses, um, we're just paying rent to the space, you know, that makes it a little bit better rather than uh, jumping into the same business. But um, yeah, man, I, I'm not sure how else to say it other than, than I, I just completely trust this. And um, I know where you're coming from, that getting into business with friends can definitely go south really quickly. But I guess I have that trust that I'm willing to risk it. There's nothing wrong with believing in trust if that is something that you really can believe in some people are all business are all contracts some people are all trust all handshake deals and that their word is their bond and there's also multitudes of gray areas to that so i'm not pushing in a direction saying one is right or wrong. It really depends sure. on the person that you are, the people you are going into business with and the situation you find yourself in. So sure, I was just asking for your own personal experience on that yeah. because yeah. trust and leaping into things is what starting a furniture business is all about. You can plan and you can do all the due diligence you want. But once you're in it, you're trusting that the things that you've put in place can get you through to the next day, the next month, the next year, the next 10 years. It's all a leap of faith. Sure. Yeah, for sure, man. There are people who are looking to make 
that jump into owning their own business. They want to do what you do. They want to run their own company because that is what they feel is their calling. And then there's people who have been doing this for a while, who have the experience, who understand what the business is all about, but they don't feel like they're taking their business to the next level. From your experience, from being thrown into a business at a very early age, to leaving it all behind, to coming back into it, to to being in this industry for a long time, you have a lot of experience in it. Can you share some things from your story that you've kept with you to help you continue to run a successful business that you can share with everybody listening? Yeah, I think it, you know, my personal experience, you know, it's, it's come down to, um, you know, explore your options. You know, if, if things come up, don't be scared to explore. Uh, doesn't mean you have to stick with it. Doesn't mean you have to do it for the rest of your life, but just see what it has to offer, you know? And I think if you're wanting to start your own company, you know, it's hard. <laughs> it's tough. You know, it, it, there's always that balance of, you know, paying the bills and which, you know, which projects to try to take on and what, uh, which ones do you want to avoid? You know, sometimes you're not, you don't have that luxury to avoid, you know, certain ones, you know, sometimes you just have to take what comes your way. But I think if you can find that thing that excites you, you know, that, that's something that just, I mean, I know it sounds cliche, but it, you know, if there's something that excites you, you know, I, I think you kind of go for it. I, you know, I think you have to really focus on what you put out there, be happy about what you put out there and build that reputation, build that positive reputation that, um, everybody's are that you're just super excited with what's going out the door. I think that really translates. I think people really start to see your excitement and your quality you know, through your work, whenever you're excited and you're happy with it. I'm just a firm believer that helps with growth, you know, when you're excited about it. You know, I personally learned that if it doesn't excite you, you know, I know you don't, you know, a lot of people don't have the luxury to just abort mission, you know, jump out and, and, and stop doing things right away. But, you know, if you can really start taking up that hobby, you know, doing a little bit more on the weekends, building those few things, you know, in your spare time, um, and, and, you know, sticking with your job, but slowly adding to the woodworking and building some more and, you know, getting it out on social media potentially and just starting it slowly. And then, you know, I, I think, you know, just like we were speaking about earlier, I, I, I think that leap of faith in a sense, I, I think you have to kind of get out of your comfort zone, you know, at some point. So I, I think there's going to be some decisions along the way to where you kind of just have to make that decision. It will get you out of your comfort zone because, you know, there's a thousands, thousands of questions that come up in your head. You know, what if I can't, you know, what if nobody comes back? What if nobody likes the stuff? But, you know, I think that's natural and I think that's normal to have those concerns. But I think it ultimately starts with just slowly going. Don't quit your job. If you, if, if you don't have that in the cards, don't go for it, you know, but maybe start adding some things, maybe start building a few things and then growing it, you know, side hustle style. and then. You know, if you get some customers, maybe then 
it'll give you that extra push, that extra leap of faith, that extra trust in yourself to know that you, you could potentially make it happen. But I really think it's just follow what excites you, be super proud of what you're doing. And I think that'll, that'll get you a long ways. Those things that you mentioned are all things that I hear in your voice when you talk about your business, when you talk about building the type of business that you want to run. I hear that all in your voice. So it's a real thing. You're not just saying cliche sentences. You are living the words that you're putting out there. And there's no better sales pitch than seeing it in action and seeing it succeeding. So yeah, I agree with you, you know, and, and, you know, five years ago, I might've thought it was a cliche thing, but going through what I've gone through and getting through certain anxiety, panic attack type things and changing, you know, how I approach business, you know, it, it's really, really helped me in a positive way. So I, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I truly believe it. It's, it's more than a cliche to me, I guess. I'm glad that it helps you in a positive way. And I'm really thankful for you to help everybody listening in a positive way by sharing your story and your journey and all the things good and bad, exciting and stressful, all the things that got you to where you are today. And I hope that you continue to do what you love and to build your company the way you want it to be built. And I wish you nothing but success moving forward. Man, I really appreciate it. And, and thank you so much for having me on. It's yeah, super awesome. Uh, quite the treat, man. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.